I do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Real Versus Feel, Netball Numbers That Matter, a podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Dallahunty and Dr. Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. In this show, we align what it feels like happened in Super Netball over the weekend to what the stats, the real, tell us. Of course, we wouldn't be here without a major sponsor, All In One Property. If you've purchased property, you know it involves tons of paperwork and stress. You've got to sort out conveyancing, finance and insurance, and that's if it's a simple deal. All in one property can help handle every step or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to start by acknowledging I'm on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people in Echuca, and Aaron, who'll join me soon, is on Wadawurrung land in Geelong. We'd pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Well, Aaron, I'm not quite sure where we should start after that round, which was uh, drama-filled to say the absolute least. In my uh, talking points piece for Fox Netball earlier this week, I ended up describing it as fiasco round. We saw the Adelaide Thunderbirds Swifts match on Saturday abandoned at half time. That was after it started late because of safety concerns related to decals. And then that game was declared a draw after a power outage and couldn't be completed. And the Melbourne Derby was mired in controversy too after a last quarter officiating error certainly helped the Melbourne Vixens win. Yeah, uh, you know I was out across most of the weekend and catching up on these things. So when I was opening up the Super Netball app, I could not keep up with what was going on and I was just I was thinking about you I'm like this weekend was a journalist dream for Nepal. Yeah look I mean a dream or a nightmare or a little bit of both but I mean as most of our listeners are probably aware by now the league has announced a number of reviews into these various incidents that we I've just mentioned but it appears that the two results well it doesn't appear it is a fact that the 25 all draw in Adelaide and the Vixens one goal win over Collingwood will stand. Now, do they keep stats of how many uh, post-game reviews that they do in Elite Netball, Aaron? Uh, you know, I'm not entirely sure about this. It's <laughs> the, the way this year's gone. You know, we're in round two. They may have to start keeping track of these things because, yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting start to the year. Yeah, look, we we can talk about the drama, and I'm sure people will be, but we're here for the stats. So let's turn our mind there. One of the few games that actually went off without a hitch was the Battle of the Bruce between the Queensland Firebirds and the Sunshine Coast Lightning in Brisbane, which Belinda Reynolds' side won with ease in the end. What numbers jumped out at you from that game, Aaron? Yeah, the things that jumped out to me here and maybe not a good thing for the Firebirds to to hear was Mm -hmm. that, you know, I looked at the defensive statistics in particular that we look at and, you know, the Firebirds had more gains they had the same amount of general play turnovers as the Lightning, yeah. but it's perhaps they just lacked that defensive to attacking efficiency because the Lightning had 20 goals total from the turnovers and gains where the Firebirds only converted 11 despite being on pretty similar footing there. Mm. Um, and, you know, the 20 goal misses for the Firebirds versus the three to the <laughs> Lightning uh, is, a, is a big standout. And, you know, you look at the, the super shots as well there from the Firebirds, three of 12, you make a few more of those and it becomes a little bit of a closer game. Uh, and, you know, Aaron, I'm going to take that easy one and hand back to you. 
for the Thunderbirds and Swifts, although maybe you should be able to do this in half the amount of time. Yeah, okay, definitely. Look, it is, it's a bit hard to take anything from the numbers from this game, isn't it? I mean, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, but we only had 30 minutes in this Thunderbird versus Swifts game, but even in that time, we did see the momentum swing from one to the other. Eleanor Cardwell, again, shot really well. She had 13 from 13, and again, she looked so much more comfortable, to my eye anyway, when she was paired with Tipper Dewan. Maddie Proud was on track for a belter too. She was leading the Nissan net points by a stretch before, as we mentioned just earlier, the game was called off. Um, and now I've somehow in the rundown here given you the only other uncontroversial uncontroversial match, which was Giants Fever in Sydney, Aaron. This was a really captivating game. It's probably been gone by the wayside a little bit because of all of this drama, but it saw Julie Fitzgerald's side once again use the super shot to pull themselves back into a contest, something that we'll touch on again later in the show with your shot in the dark from last episode. Yeah, I mean, it's wild to see this one. The stats that jump out of you is obviously the scoreline of 74 to 73, and you're like, cool, huge super shot game. Yeah, Giants made 15 of those, but the Fever only made one. So there's obviously this huge disparity in where they're getting their scoring from. And if you look at just the standard shots from this game, that was 64 to 43 in favour of the Fever. But then you flip over to the scoring from the super shots and it was 30, you know, 30 to 10 compared to to that one. So really sort of two parts to that game from the scoring. Um, But perhaps what you can look at that net points is the general statistic. You you sort of see, you can look at that and see how games are going. And Mm -hmm. the Fever had 500 net points for the game to about 344 for the Mm. Giants, right? Mm. And like, if I just looked at that, I'd be like, yeah, huge win to the Fever, right? That was a three times bigger disparity in this game than any yeah. other one in the round. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was yeah. one of the closest ones on the scoreboard. So, um, yeah, just a really weird one if you were just looking at the stats here. Um, but in the end, the Fever just got up by one goal right near the end again. Mm-hmm. Um, now, back to you for, yeah, I'll take the uncontroversial okay, ones. You great. take the controversial <laughs> ones. Uh, how'd the Pies versus Vixens go? <laughs> I mean, I think sadly this game is going to be remembered for the Vixens getting those two consecutive centre passes in the dying minutes. I think it was about three minutes to go was when it all started happening and they obviously went on to win that game despite Collingwood coach Nicole Richardson seemingly pleading with the umpire about something. It probably wasn't clear on the broadcast. Um, Sophie Garbin had alerted her to the fact that the Vixen had taken um, two centre passes. And the thing is, the frustration, I guess, for the Pies is they dominated the Vixens all match. Shimona Nelson, again, was a standout. She shot, uh, you know, 47 goals. Kelsey Brown was just burning up the court too. She had 24 goal assists and Another thing I guess that's notable but possibly in the negative column was the number of contacts. So there was, a, you know, over 140 contacts in this game, which was a lot more than any other game so far this year. Bodies and cautions were flying, and I guess that intensity probably had a fair bit to do with what we saw at the end as well. And as you pointed out to me earlier today, the Vixens had more centre pass receives because, of course, they had more centre passes, Aaron, which feels a little bit like the stats board rubbing salt into the pie's wounds, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll get to that in a sec because <laughs> it's it's really what I want to finish on because it's a fascinating number to, to put to it. Yeah. Um, you know, the circle shot efficiency and feeds was another mm-hmm. interesting part of this game. You, know, you mentioned Kelsey Brown. 
and what she was doing, like the Vixens had 86 total circle feeds mm-hmm. um, and the Magpies had 68. So a big disparity yeah. there. But when you look at the feeds with attempts, the Vixens had 59 while the Magpies had 57. So there was this real, okay. maybe the, the Magpies were much more efficient in where they were able to, to get their shots from. Uh, we saw our key indicator for the Vixens having 11 gains. We've really noticed that when they get plus 10 in that category, that yep. they win very, That's very right. regularly. And yeah happened again but yeah i mean perhaps just to finish on for our match review for the round center pass receives was a plus two for the vixens <laughs> across the entire match not just the end um but take from that what you will <laughs> now we're just going to quick for our first subject this week let's quickly cycle back to that abandoned thunderbird versus swift's game I mean, everyone's kind of talking about what could it have been. Helen Housby, we heard saying, look, we're confident we could have won. I think the Thunderbirds are pretty confident they could have won if the game was played out as well. So we were kind of wondering aloud what that might have looked like if it had a run to a full game. And so you ran some some numbers for us, Aaron. Yeah, I hadn't heard that Helen Housby comment, which is an interesting one to hear after looking at the numbers, because if you just doubled the stats in this one, you could probably come to that conclusion of both teams thinking – they were you know, in the game because if yep. you doubled the totals of everything, it was looking very even. But take a little bit of a deeper dive, and you mentioned earlier the, the trajectory of this match from quarter one to quarter two, mm-hmm. and it was telling a very different story to an even game where the scoring, the Swifts, they dropped from 16 down to nine from the first to the second quarter. The penalties for the Swifts went up from uh, nine in quarter one to 22 in the second quarter. The Thunderbirds were able to keep really consistent with their center pass to goal conversion around that 60 or 70 percent mark which is okay whereas the swiss dropped from 77 percent all the way down to 27 percent for converting their center passes in that second quarter the swiss dropped their number of circle feeds by 10 from quarter one to quarter two i'm detecting a theme here aaron yeah and (laughs) i mean the worst one yet they the swiss doubled their turnovers from four to eight from quarter one to quarter two so honestly, like looking at that, if I was a Swiss fan, I am happy that this game was stopped before it continued on and got, you know, maybe worse on the scoreboard. Well, I mean, the jumping penalties and the drop in centre pass conversions in particular are so stark, I guess. And another thing we can't measure is that the home court advantage as well. We know that the Thunderbirds, it was their first home game. They had sold it out, um, ironies of, of ironies, um, and, they, you know, their fans didn't even get to see that full game. But, yeah, it's not hard to extrapolate out from that, I guess, that the game might have gone, you know, to the T-Birds, which I think watching is definitely what it what it felt like. They were coming and, and Sterling was starting to have a bit more of an influence as well. Now, next we want to look at Lightning's perfect halves. So I, I wrote about this, um, about the fact that the three Sunshine Coast Lightning, so Kara Conan, Steph Wood and Charlie Bell, who was only on the court for a couple of minutes, they were sitting at 100% accuracy at halftime in their game against the Firebirds at the weekend. I know we often talk about Janelle Fowler and her individual brilliance, but what about collective brilliance? How often do we see all of a team's shooters record flawless games or halves as it was in this case? Yeah, we talked about, you know, perfect shooting games last week and and that perhaps happened more so than um, I would have expected. Okay. Looking at perfect shooting halves for a team uh, this week, it's happened 
only 35 times across ANZ Championship and Super Netball history, which equates to about 0.95% of halves, which is you right. know, just under one in every 100 halves we're seeing this happen. So relatively rare, I think. So I was right. You can say it, Aaron. Yeah, I never <laughs> want to be that confirmatory in nature, but um, yes, you were right. Uh, and and even uh, sort of more rarer occurrence for mm. these 35 halves where it's happened is having three shooters come yeah. on court. Yep. So only six of those 35 halves where you've had a perfect team shooting performance okay. have had three shooters out there, most likely because, you know, if you're not missing, why of would you solve your goal attack and goal shooter off? Yep. Uh, and this is the third time that the Lightning have done it in um, their stay in the competition. And unsurprisingly, Steph Wood been on court for all three of those. Um, probably a big part in why they're shooting so accurately. Uh, and the last one here, the 39 attempts that the Lightning had in that first half is actually the highest number of shots a team has taken without missing in a half. So yeah, yeah. they're right at the top with that one. And that's the other piece of the puzzle, isn't it? You can have accuracy, but if you don't have volume to go along with it, it's not really worth much. And I think we've got to remember too, Caitlin Bassett was there at the Lightning in the very beginning too, someone, you know, highly accurate and did use a lot of volume as well. And now very quickly, Speaking of perfection, I also wrote about this week about how Ruby Bakewell Doran didn't have a single penalty in the third quarter of that game, not one. Is that a rarity, especially for goalkeepers? We don't normally see her there. I'm not sure that we have actually seen her there before, but is it as rare as it felt? Yeah, I, this is like the perfect game for defenders, right? Mm-hmm. We talked a bit, we've talked about perfect games for shooters, perfect games for teams. Uh, this is your defensive version of that, I think. Uh, and so given we were looking at goalkeeper, I, I took a look at times where a player has spent an entire quarter at goalkeeper and not received any penalties. And as you're kind of alluding to, this is the first time this has happened for Bakewell Doran. Yep. Likely because, you know, she spent most of her time sure. at goal defence in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, it it has happened maybe more than I expected uh, with okay. respect to the, the frequency. Um, and I, I have a feeling this is because the goalkeeper kind of gets, you know, the goal defence goes out and does the penalties and the goalkeeper has to sometimes stand back and defend the two players, doesn't get pulled up for the penalties. That might not be your experience uh, out there when you're playing, Erin. <laughs> That's my thoughts on the matter. Uh, and I gave you a couple of quizzes last week uh, and I wouldn't say you had a pass rate for that. So I think I probably I did found, pass. Uh, yeah, maybe just. Uh, I found that the top three players for the yep. number of perfect quarters at goalkeeper. So okay. who's your top three for this, oh, Aaron? Well, I mean, after I so rudely left her out last week, Jeeva Mentor obviously has to be up there. Uh, we have the... Clean Queen, Shamira Sterling, I'm guessing. The third one I think is less obvious because some of the existing keepers do tend to be heavily penalised because as the last line of defence, keepers I do feel are more heavily penalised than a goal defence. I mean, maybe April Branley, although she doesn't really play much back at keeper. Mm, well, I, I'm glad you brought Jeeva Mentor <laughs> in this week because she's top of the list with 26 perfect quarters at goalkeeper. Uh, but you really had to think back a okay. little more for Old some of school. these others. Okay. Uh, number two with 20 perfect quarters is Jane Watson. Oh, uh, and yes, of course. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's obvious once you, you're told the answer, right? Yeah, always. <laughs> That's how it works, isn't it? <laughs> and 
then I think this was maybe another obvious one you missed. Third with 19 perfect quarters is Sam Pullman. Ah, I am surprised by that, I must say. I um, mm. wouldn't have thought that she'd have had so many perfect. She was heavily penalised at times, I guess it's fair to say. Yes, but- had, had her moments, but... They're your top three perfect quarters. Dare I say, you know, Shamira Sterling is someone who's going to get there this reach year. Reach those perhaps. marks um, yeah. over time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you'll see her up there soon. I think. Okay, but one out of three is definitely a fail. <laughs> yeah, if we're going by traditional academic standards, which I have to in my role, then yes, you can come back and repeat this next week. Now, while we're in the goal circle, let's take a look. We we touched on it before um, on Fowler's streak. We saw another mistakeless game from her in Fever's win over the Giants at the weekend, which brought her to 114 out out of 114 attempts this season. What's her longest streak of... Perfection. And has anyone else got close? I mean, Kat Tuavate, Ni Latu, for example, as we touched on last week. Mm, you, you're exactly right there. And I think that name's fresh with mine. Kat uh, holds the longest in season streak with yep. 139. Oh, so not in, far away. Yep. Yeah, back in the year 2012. We're currently at Janiel Fowler's second longest streak within a season. Okay. Uh, she had 122 back in 2021. And 105 in 2022. So with what she's at now and those two, she has the second, the fourth, and the sixth longest shooting streaks in ANZ Championship Super (laughs) Netball history. So, like, not too shabby of a record. Um, You know, maybe she misses one every now and then just so she can start the streak again (laughs) just for fun. Um, So, And she's way out in front this year. The next closest is Shimona Nelson with 79. But, you know, the year is young. Yep. She has True. many chances to get up there. True. And did I, I think you asked how many how many more does Fowler need yep. to break her own streak? Yeah. So another nine straight to break her own longest record mm-hmm. and another 26 to break the all-time record. And so I think we're going to see where this happens in the next game. How many games has Janelle Fowler shot less than, you know, 25. Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say it could be in round three. Something strange would have to mm-hmm. happen for it for it not to. Now a word from our major sponsor. Buying a property seems simple enough, doesn't it? You find a house you love, get a loan from the bank and sign on the dotted line. In reality, of course, it's much more complicated than that. You've got to get a section 32, get it reviewed, understand all the conditions, then they're securing finance, the right provider and the right deal. You have to find a conveyancer, sort out paperwork, and what about insurance and other property law issues that might pop up along the way? Suddenly it becomes very complex. That's where All-in-One Property comes in. All-in-One Property helps manage it all or just parts of it. Covering conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law, All-in-One Property streamlines the process, helping clients across all of these services they need in one place, whether that's one or more than one. And they have dedicated customer service specialists to coordinate it all. Visit allinoneprop.com or visit 03 to discover how you can benefit from the streamlined property transfer process. The next topic for us, Aaron, to dig our teeth into is second phase superstars. So it was mentioned in the commentary at the weekend how many second phase receives lightning shooter Kara Conan gets. And it got me thinking about who leads in that metric. I mean, the obvious guess is that it's going to be a mid-quarter, but Conan is obviously 
up there. Tell me, tell me about this area. Uh, so the second phase receives is only a stat that was collected from last year. Uh, so we can only really dig into this from the 2022 season onwards. And mm-hmm. for those unfamiliar, this is that next pass from the center pass phase. So we get the center pass receives as that first one. The player that it goes to next is who gets that second phase received. And so looking at the whole season in 2022, the names at the top of that stat, you had Price, Simmons, Boeta, Watson, Kim Rav, and then following on from that top five, you've got people like Jovic from the Magpies, Kelsey Brown, Matty Proud. So if you're familiar with these names, as you're saying, it's a pretty mid-court heavy top end for this stat. So to be talking about Kara Conan in this light is Mm. maybe a bit surprising. Last year, she was ranked number 12 for this stat, if you summed them all up, which is definitely the highest for predominantly goal shooter. But given what was going on at Lightning last year, she did play a little bit bit of goal attack. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. that might have contributed to that. But perhaps an interesting shift in the early part of this year is that second phase reception is perhaps becoming more of a shooter's role. Um, The top three for this stat so far, you've got Sophie Garvin, Mm-hmm. Kara Conan sitting at number two and mm-hmm. Sasha Glasgow mm-hmm. is number three for that stat. Um, so it's, you know, they're playing goal attack, mm-hmm. but there were very few goal attacks in that list I mentioned for the top of that stat last year. And to see Kara Conan, a goal shooter, like right at the top there, mm. and she has about two and a half times more second phase receptions than um, the next most prominent goal shooter, which is Kumwenda from the Vixens. Um you know, that comment from the uh, commentators and what you're seeing there, I think mm. is definitely supported by her numbers. Mm. It's really fascinating how different teams use different approaches in, you know, in that regard. Now it's time for Fox Answers the Fans. Um, and I was DM'd this question on Instagram from a listener by the name of Tiffany. Now, it sort of seemed reasonably simple to me, but perhaps it's not from a statistical point of view. She wants to know if there's a correlation between teams sticking with their starting seven and going on to win games. So the sort of conventional netball wisdom says you start with your best seven, you stick with them if you're up, you only make changes if there's a problem. I mean, that's very simplistic, but that's kind of the idea that a lot of people have. But is that borne out by the numbers at the elite level? Yeah, when you asked me about this question, I had to put my real statistics teacher's hat on good, and good. think about, you know, talk about how correlation is difficult in that categorical okay. sense. Of you like, you know, does a team who who sticks with one thing, uh, you know, do they win a match, which are sort of uh, categorical outcomes in a way are, are a bit difficult to, yeah. to do in a traditional correlation sense. So. Yep. What we had to do here was kind of look at games where this occurred and and have a look at the proportion of winning versus losing outcomes. Uh, okay. And so with this, decided to focus on 2020 onwards from when those rolling subs were introduced because you probably expect to see a little bit happening with more the, of the them. lineups there. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or it was more of an opportunity for teams to make those changes, sure. I think. Yeah. So since then, I identified 24 games where teams have kept their starting seven. And in those 24 games, none of them had the opposition doing the same thing. So since 2020, I don't think we've seen a game where both teams have stuck to the same starting seven. Hopefully I'm right. Could be wrong, but that's what I found. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, 
And in these 24 games, the team who kept their starting seven won 75% of those matches. Conventional so, wisdom. Ding, ding. Yeah. I mean, you're getting a tick there <laughs> in a you. sense that you are, if you have kept your starting seven, you're technically more likely to win than lose. But was uh, but it caused why, by that is different. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get to why that's not the case in a sec. Um, <laughs> okay. But in putting this together, I also wanted to check where teams have made less lineup changes than their opponents and what happened. Uh, and so in looking at that, uh, 63% of matches were won by the team who made less lineup changes. So mm-hmm. in both of these cases, we're looking at the notion of sticking with your starting seven or being less, uh, you know, messing with your lineup less than the other team. Mm-hmm. You're chances of winning are greater than 50%, so better than chance. Okay. But there is a caveat here, and this is me putting my statistics teacher's hat back on. The correlation does not equal causation, causation. right? Of course. Okay, yeah, classic classic comment there. Uh, and so what we can't really tell from this is it's a bit of that chicken versus the egg argument, right? We don't know whether the lack of lineup changes or sticking with your starting seven yep. is what leads to winning or is it that a winning team just doesn't That's make those lineup changes? Right? Yeah. You stick with it because you're winning. Yeah, we can't really tell that. So that's, I mean, a very, that was a, that was a very lecture statistic. No, I loved it. No, it, no, so. no, no. The statistical nerd in me loves that because it is very simplistic from an outside point of view to say, well, this is why this is happening or this isn't. So to break to break it down that way is, is really fascinating. And that's probably a great example of a, a nice complex question that Aaron had to um to get his special hat out to to work yes. out today and yes that's a special hat there isn't a physical hat i'll just say you know being a audio based medium here i, I don't have a hat but I, yeah just a metaphorical hat i think we perhaps now, should, should get you one uh, yeah if you're happy to i'm i'm, I'm okay with that now erin the everyone's favorite segment of the podcast everyone's favorite name segment everyone's favorite actual segment we've got della bluntly della bluntly Della Bluntly? Della Bluntly? Della Bluntly, I, I, I think we Della Bluntly, with. all right. I think I missed, missed the last L there. <laughs> now for round three, what have you got? Because there could have been lots of things here. Yeah, look, this week I'm bluntly asking for Super Netball to be more open, transparent and responsive to both media professionals who cover the sport and the fans out there, the fans who buy memberships and merchandise, who attend games, who hang around for an hour after a game to get a player's signature, who live and breathe this league that we're talking about. The incidents over the weekend are the sort of latest examples of the league being slow to respond to things which unfolded live on social media and on TV and then being reticent to answer questions put to them. News about the decals at Netball SA Stadium broke on Twitter at about 5.30 on Saturday, I think it was, but it wasn't until an hour later that fans were told anything official via the Fox Netball broadcast team who informed that the game was being probably going to be delayed. It took another half an hour for a media release to be issued saying that that would be happening, there would be a delay, and then when the power outage came at halftime, the explanation as to why the game was declared a draw you know, it was sort of confusing and lacking in detail. The league then announced they were going to be they were going to do a review, but also refused to answer any specific questions. A not sort of dissimilar timeline unfolded around the centre pass debacle on Sunday that we talked about, with fans and media sort of scrambling for clarifications or answers as to would the result stand, what did it mean? You know, there were 
they, these were questions that some simple tweets or Facebook posts could have answered. And then it was 7am Monday by the time the league issued another sort of light on detail press release saying another review would be done. Super Netball has some of the most passionate fans in the world and I really think they're entitled to timely information about the league that they love. This kind of ingrained culture of opaqueness has long been a problem with the league and as has happened previously, the lack of detail leaves an information vacuum that gets filled with something. So that is my request this week, Karen. You know, I am just hoping that round four goes off without a hit. Smoothly. And this segment next week can be like, you know what, all the games finished, uh, everything was okay. We had four goalkeepers <laughs> win MVPs, all yes, is good yeah, in the world. I mean, we can't ask for everything. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, it's time to check in on your shot in the dark. So how it went for this round, Aaron. It related to the Fever Giants game. You predicted the Giants would be on the end of a big loss. 15 plus from memory was the number. Um, and for a while there, you were looking the goods. Fever were led by 11, I believe, at one stage. Um, but the Giants, as we've touched on, they reeled in that margin care of super shots, 15 of them, as you said. They won the last quarter 21 to 11 to only lose by one. So, yeah, we're talking about failure earlier. Yeah, look, <laughs> I'm going to take the liberty of pulling in the podcast name here, the real versus feel, and take the fact that it felt like the Fever should sure. have won this game by about 20 to uh, soften that blow of failure just a little bit. Super shots killed your mate. They really did. But in your defence, yeah. Joe Harden playing or not playing is a pretty large variable. So what about your shot in the dark for round three? Yeah, now I'm, I'll am i come to the end of this and and probably say whether this is actually a shot in the dark. Oh, okay. We're, okay. We're talking. It's a shot in the light. About, <laughs> yeah, a really light shot here. We're talking about Janiel Fowler. Okay. And, you know, we, we were on a shooting streak earlier. Uh, and I thought I'd take a look at their matchup this year with the uh, this week with mm -hmm. the Magpies in the the last couple of years, and she actually hasn't had a perfect game shooting against the Magpies um, you know, over the last two years. She missed okay. three shots and two shots in their matchup matchups last year, and missed one and four shots in their matchup in 2021. So you know. I mean, a, a game where Fowler's missed four shots maybe is a rough one for her, but not far <laughs> off in those. Uh, but despite not having these perfect games against the Magpies, that's what I'm predicting this week. And, and that's what okay. I'm thinking. You know, is, is it much of a shot in the dark to say that Janiel Fowler isn't going to miss a shot within a match, given what we've seen? Uh, but at the very least, she nails the first 26 or so shots okay. to break that longest street record okay. uh, and takes herself to the top of that list we okay. outlined earlier. She does miss. It does happen. So. It feels like it doesn't, though. <laughs> Well, look, that's a wrap for our third episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RealVFeel and send us your Fox Answers the Fans questions using hashtag RealVFeel. All in One Property is a dedicated property service provider. What does that mean? It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. Use all the services or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com to find out more.